Well, while you're uh, sitting down, why don't you turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them with you. We've been uh, looking over the last several weeks at the, uh, the last book in the Bible, about a time when we'll experience this kind of fellowship and a whole lot more forever and ever. It's the book of Revelation. We've been in the second to the last chapter of this last book, Revelation chapter 21. You know, this week uh, at our men's weekly breakfast, it's uh, one that we call Iron Hour, we began, as we normally do, with a question that when, then we briefly discuss after the uh, breakfast is over. Uh, today, I'd like to t- uh, talk to you about it, too. And I'd like you to think about it. The question was this. When, you, when, when, you, when do you feel like you're really living? Maybe it's right here. That's got to be on the top of all of our lists in a way. But like your really loving life, what, what do you do to enjoy yourself, to kind of recharge? This is our uh, fifth year in Summit County, and for me, among other things, more and more it has to do with skiing, with skinning up mountains and skiing back down, biking, hiking. There's nothing like pedaling, I'm discovering, pumping your way, you know, to the top of Vail Pass, as Julie and I did last week, and then plunging back down through God's creation. That is really living. Amen? Amen. Except, you know, when at the end of it all, you've got to bike up Swan Mountain to get back home. And you've already biked up Swan Mountain the other way to get to the road that goes to Vail Pass in the first place. I was talking about this with John Green at Iron Hour last Wednesday, and he said, well, why don't you park on the other side of Swan Mountain and start from there? And I thought, I see now why you got ahead in life, John. (laughs) A lot of people come here because for them, that kind of thing is, you know, really living. I've learned a lot uh, since coming up here the last five years or so about, uh, about enjoying life like He wants us to. That's a Christian thing, you know. So many of us kind of so easily as Christians, it's easy to look like we've been baptized in lemon juice. But He wants us to enjoy life. First Timothy 6, it says, He gives us all things richly to enjoy. He loves it when He sees His children enjoying all of the things that He's given them. Or Psalm 103, He satisfies your years with good things. Or James 1.17, Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights for all His children to enjoy. All these, all these tastes of heaven as I've titled this message. So, when do you taste it? When do you say, you know, yeah, it doesn't get much better than this, does it? When you're saying that, what are you doing? Well, I wrote their answers down on this big whiteboard, and then at the end of our discussion, drew a big circle all the way around the answers, and then from the, on the top side, I did one single arrow pointing up, and I wrote, Tastes of Heaven. Tastes of heaven. Did you know that all these things that we do when we're really living, all of our fulfillments from, from, you know, helping others to being with loved ones to fellowshipping to contributing to the community to exercising our spiritual gifts and you say flow, river, flow through me to skiing, to skinning, to hiking, to hut trips. All these things, all the things we most enjoy doing all together are really just a single taste of heaven, if that. How do we know that? Well, it's in Revelation 21. 
Revelation 21, and let's back it up to verse 1 so we'll get a running start at our verses for today. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this as his heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. We've been looking at heaven this summer. Two weeks ago, we came to this new creation that I just read about. We've been looking at the characteristics of the new creation, and we've seen so far that there will be a great presence there. The presence of God Himself, which is by far best of all, as we've seen. For it says that God Himself shall be with us. That was two weeks ago. Last week we saw that there will be a great absence there too because it says He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the first things have passed away. A great absence. And this week we'll see that not only will there be a great presence and a great absence, but finally there's going to be a great abundance. A great abundance. For one day God will so say, Behold, I am making all things new. To the one who is thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This is the fulfillment of Christ's promise when He said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. We taste it now, we'll drink it in then. The idea here is that we'll know an abundance of life almost more than anything we can imagine. We barely taste what it'll be like to live life to the fullest, to the overflowing. And as we do, uh, and we drink that in, never again are we going to grow old because it says, Behold, I am making all things, what? New. And for all eternity, we'll be saying... (laughs) Doesn't get much better than this, does it? Then what? It doesn't get much better than what? Well, let's look at them again, these tastes of heaven that he says he wants us richly to enjoy. Maybe for you, you know, it's the call of the wild and the great outdoors. I'm sure there are a lot like that here. How many of you have read uh, Into the Wild by John Krakauer? A number of you have. It's a powerful book in a lot of ways. It's a true story about a young man from a well-to-do family who died in April of 1992. He hitchhiked to Alaska and walked alone into the wilderness just north of Mount McKinley. His name was Christopher Johnson McCandless. He had given his $25,000 that his folks had uh, made him save up in his life savings uh, for college. He gave that to charity. He abandoned his car and most of his possessions. He burned all the cash in his wallet as kind of a symbol, and he went on to invent a whole new life for himself. 
Four months later, his decomposed body was found by a moose hunter in the wilds of Alaska. Krakauer, who wrote this book, tells about how this is much more common than you might think and how it's not exactly all bad. In fact, there's a lot of good in it. People who find life in the adrenaline rush, you know, of living on the edge, bungee jumping, mountain climbing, bushwhacking in Alaska, or maybe, you know, just an exhilarating plunge down Vail Pass and the wilds there. Maybe for you, it's the call of the wilds. For some, it's the mountains. For others, it's the deserts. Krakauer quotes Paul Shepard on deserts. This is really biblical. What draws people there? Listen carefully. The desert sky is encircling. I know some of you have talked to me about this. It's majestic, that sky. It's terrible. In other habitats, the rim of the sky above the circling horizon is broken or obscured. But in the desert, together with the great dome of the sky, it is infinitely vaster than that of the rolling countryside and forest lands. In the unobstructed sky of the desert, the clouds seem more massive, sometimes grandly reflecting the earth's curvature on their concave undersides. The angularity of desert landforms imparts a monumental architecture to the clouds as well as to the lands. And then he concludes, to the deserts go prophets and hermits. Through deserts go pilgrims and exiles. Here the leaders of the great religions have sought the therapeutic and spiritual values of retreat, not to escape from, but to find reality. Maybe that's you. If you are, you're in good company. That's where Christ spent 40 days, remember? Praying and fasting. Before he launched his ministry, Luke says he often went out into the wilderness to pray, to make live contact with God. There's a good precedent for this kind of thing because he found God there, just like John the Baptist did. Moses, some of you will be glad to hear, found him on a mountain. Right? Where do you go to find God? When do you feel like you're really living to the point that you feel like God's there? It could be living on the edge, the call of the wild, like Jack London titled his famous book. Or maybe for you, it's just watching it all from a living room window. I like that too. From a cozy chair with a cup of tea, you know, and curled up with a good book. And it's snowing outside. And the vista is unbelievable. It opens up your spirit to God Himself. But, you know, it occurred to me this week as I was thinking about these things, yes, for Christopher Johnson McCandless, it ended in death. And in no way would I recommend doing what he did in the book. But if we're honest, most of us will say that all of that kind of stuff ends up in disappointment. And then death, right? In fact, really living in any of these ways is also, from a slightly different perspective, kind of like dying a slow death. Though we don't talk about it much. Because all these are mere tastes of heaven that so quickly, too quickly, just die away. Like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. And like he says, it's all so fleeting. These flickers of glory are really uh, ever-diminishing tastes of heaven which follow the law of diminishing returns, right? By which he tantalizes us with what's to come and woos us to him. And so the question is this. Do you, you know, 
grasp your joys for dear life because that's all you got after death. Nothing but death. Do you grasp your joys for dear life as though all that, that's all there is to life? Or do you kiss your joys as they fly, as they die, yes, as you die, because you know the best is yet to come if you're true, a true Christ follower? And what will that be like? Well, again, it's when the Bible says He'll make all things new, both around us and within us, which means that nothing will ever again grow old because there will no longer be any death, a great absence, as we saw last week. Someday our experience of life is going to be just like God's. We'll be like God in that way. And what will that be like? Well, I told you last time about how sometimes as I brush my teeth in the morning, I think, how many times have I done this? All things are wearisome, like Solomon said. How many times have I done this before? Well, after brushing my teeth this last week, I was walking down the stairs and I saw through our window the ruby red of the rising sun over the distant mountains. And I thought, huh, God really gets into raising the sun every day. And how many times has He done that over the last, you know, however many years? I thought about Psalm 19 where it talks about the sun. It says that it's rising us from one end of the heavens to the other and it circuits to the other end and it rejoices. It rejoices as a strong man to run its course. And the Bible teaching that is God's doing. He causes the sun to rise and the grass to grow. Did you know that God rejoices every morning when He causes the sun to rise? Bear with me. We're headed someplace here. He rejoices as though it were the first time. It's like J. Kesterton wrote. He said over and over, almost like a child, God says, do it again. He says it every morning. He says, do it again to the sun. And He says, do it again every evening to the moon with the undying appetite and appreciation of infancy. But we have sinned. We have grown old. And so our Father is younger than we. But one day, He says, I'll make it all things new for you too, both within you and all around you. What He's saying is all the sights and sounds and colors of infancy and the joys that we still still know and everything that so captivates us here below, we stop appreciating. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it grows so old. My mother was a missionary for more than 40 years. Godliest woman I know by far. And it even happened to her. I'm telling you, did she know how to enjoy life or what? She used all of her senses. We lived in Colorado Springs for a number of years when I was young. And it was a running joke. Every day she'd drive us to school. And every day we'd we'd drive by Pike's Peak. And it was kind of a running joke, an eye roller for us, that whenever we drove by, even for the umpteenth time, she'd roll down the window and look out and say, oh, isn't that beautiful? Thank you, Lord. Some of you are like that. She passed away last November. 
One of the hardest things in her declining years was that uh, was moving from their last home, a condominium with this great view of the peak where she'd have her quiet time and be sipping her tea, moving to where she couldn't see it anymore. Hard, too, was when she couldn't taste anymore. That can happen, too. She so loved the savor, the taste of good food. She loved the taste of God's Word. And hardest of all was when she lost her ability to read. She was a beloved author, and she couldn't write anymore. She was, she was a lover of laughter and of just being together. Maybe for you that's really living with your loved ones. And through her I learned about the, the feast of caring and kind of the flow of the soul that can happen when you converse with one another, with those we love, but she lost her ability to talk, too. About a year before she passed away, I was talking to her about the difficulties of growing old and about how she, she couldn't see the peak very often except when I came down from up here to drive her around and so many other things she had to let go of. And at one point in the conversation, I never knew for sure if she was really hearing me. Sometimes she would fade in and out. But at one point in the, uh, the conversation, she turned and looked at, at me and her eyes were glistening. They were kind of glistening with the wisdom of her years, the wisdom of her many tears that she had said and shed. And she said this, listen to it. She said, when you let go, you lay a hold. When you let go, you lay a hold. Do you have anything after you die that you have to lay a hold of? She did. And I was thinking, Mom... It's your finest hour. I wish everyone could learn from her. In fact, you can if you want. Her latest book just came out a month ago. It's called 31 Days of Encouragement As We Grow Older. It's all over this stuff. It says, lonely, exhausted, overwhelmed. Whether we're young or old or in between, these feelings can flood our hearts. As we face our limitations, our most urgent need is to know that God is better and far better is the experience of his love, power, and sufficiency. Beloved author Ruth Myers has chosen the path protected by the deep comfort of Christ. She was a true Christ follower. And she is a willing guide for anyone ready to approach aging in a different way, in the biblical way. This 31-day devotional helps you choose joy now and prepare for a satisfying future. Draw close to him and embrace the possibilities. Do you have possibilities to embrace? When you let go, if you're a follower of Christ, you can lay a hold of what's awaiting you. It's like Paul said, we're to let go. We're to count all things as lost. They're not just to be ripped from us. We're to give them up because the best is yet to come. And they're but, they're but dung, he said, compared to it. We're to give it all up and move through li as we move through life so that by faith, in hope, without sight, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, we can more and more take hold of that which is truly life, truly lasting, truly and eternally living. Of which everything else here below is but a taste and just an intimation of immortality. You know, back in 1976, my sister and I took a, a year out of college to travel the world together. 
We went to Europe. We went to Asia. We went to the Mideast. We bicycled and camped uh, for four months that year. Went from England to the Netherlands to Germany to Switzerland down to, to Italy. Ran out of money, so we got a job picking grapes on the Riviera coast. Got enough money to get back to Paris and then to England. Then we flew off to Singapore to see my folks. One day at the beginning of the trip... In the Netherlands, we were biking along one of the canals in Amsterdam, and we were looking for something. At uh, one of the youth hostels, sometimes we stayed in a hostel, we happened to there, and we ran into someone who told us about what they call the hippie of Amsterdam. Anyone ever hear of the hippie of Amsterdam? This was a long time ago, but he's probably dead now. But he, um, he lived the life of the bohemian. He was really living, they told us. So we found our way there. And sure enough, there he was. He happened to be actually standing on the edge of his boat. He had this long gray hair, nothing but shorts on. And as soon as we saw him, he dived into the water and disappeared, which said it all. He plunged into God's creation. And then we noticed something. We noticed that he had something painted on the side of his boat. It was a poem by William Blake, a famous poem, one that said this, He who binds himself to a joy doth the winged life destroy. But he who kisses his joys as they fly lives in eternity's sunrise. He who binds himself to a joy doth the winged life destroy. But he who lets go, he who kisses his joys as they fly and fly away they will will follow them into eternity's sunrise because they're tastes of heaven. How do you live in eternity's sunrise? When you let go, you lay a hold. Yes, kiss your joys gratefully. He wants us to do that. The Father loves it when He enjoys His gifts. But don't grasp them for dear life as though that's all there is to your life. And if it is, get to know Jesus Christ and you'll see us just a taste of what's far better. Don't grasp them or you'll be slowly disappointed. They're so ephemeral. They're so fleeting compared to the eternal. And they're also so wonderful. Well, we got back to the States and went back to college. And a few days after we arrived, we were at the university bookstore uh, buying the books for our classes uh, that quarter. And up there, there was a tall ceiling and there were posters along the wall that you could buy. And my eyes fixed on one poster uh, with a saying by Jack London. And I said, Doreen, doesn't that say it all? Doesn't that put to words why we did what we just did the world over? And she said, yeah. And unbeknownst to me, she ended up buying it. And a few days later, it became my 26th uh, birthday present. And we found the truth, the very biblical truth, that lies between the hippie of Amsterdam poem and Jack London's poster, who wrote The Call of the Wild. For years, that poster was in every room I lived in. It went like this, I'd rather be ashes than dust. I'd rather my spark should burn out in a brilliant blaze than it should be stifled in dry rot. I'd rather be a superb meteor, every atom of me in magnificent glow, than a sleepy and permanent planet. Man's chief purpose is to live, not just to exist. I'll not waste my days trying to prolong them. I will use my time. Are you really living your life? I don't know how you can if you don't know what lies after death. Are you really living your life? The Bible says He's given us, yes, all things richly to enjoy. But are, are you also letting your life go, letting go to lay a hold, 
kissing your joys, not grasping them, living an eternity sunrise, knowing that a day is coming when nothing will ever again grow old, when He'll make all things new, when He'll give us from the spring of the water of life without payment, when there will be a great presence and a great absence and also a great abundance when we'll live life to the fullest. The settled happiness and security, said C.S. Lewis, the settled happiness and security we all desire, God withholds from us. They would teach us to rest our hearts in this world and pose an obstacle to our return to God. A few moments of happy love, a landscape, a symphony, a merry meeting with our friends, a bathe or a football match, a trek up veil pass, I added that, have no such tendency. Our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant ends, but He will not encourage us to mistake them for home. Home. What will home be like? What will it be like to lay a hold, like Paul says, of that which is life indeed, to have life and to have it richly, unendingly, abundantly? They say there's going to be some powerful music in heaven. And sometimes music captures the heart and puts things into a reality that are better than words. And so I'd like to close with this. It's a piece about heaven that was commissioned for the Dale Warland singers. Anyone ever heard of them? All right, way to go. They're one of the world's foremost a cappella choir ensembles, a group of 40 men and women. And it comes from their final concert on May 30th, 2004. It's a new rendition of a sacred harp song that was written by Samuel Tennant in 1787. He writes about the vision of heaven. And here's how it goes. Oh, the transporting, rapturous scene that rises to my sight. Sweet fields arrayed in living green and rivers of delight. That's what we've been talking about. They're generous fruits that never fail. On trees immortal grow. They're rocks and hills and brooks and vales with milk and honey flow. It's a 40-member choir singing an eight-part piece. One that sounds like a river. A river that builds to an eight-part cataract like shooting the rapids, like the white waters of eternal life with Him. It's about what's going to flow through us. It'll give you a feel for it. The river of life. Rivers of life. Of delight. Just like we can hear them flow through the Dale Warland singers.
life doesn't get much better than that, does it? At least if you're into a cappella choirs. That's living. But whether or not they're your thing, life will be like that if you know Christ as your Savior from sin. It'll be like an eight-part cataract running through our innermost being when we will be dazzling, like C.S. Lewis said, radiant, immortal, pulsing all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. Forever and ever, world without end. Amen and amen. Well, we'll have the ushers come forward. Maybe it's not a coincidence that today, the third Sunday of the month, we take our benevolence offering so that we can be a river of life to people who are thirsty or hungry or who have needs. And in this economy, there are a lot of them, even up here in Summit County. And so we'd encourage you to pray uh, to give as the Spirit leads. But let's pray together. Father, we do want to thank you that these rivers of life start now. And that more and more they can taste their presence can give us a taste of the glory that awaits us. And their absence then, a deep thirst for that glory. Thank you that we can be a river of life to those who are in need. Thank you for the opportunity to prime the pump for what will happen through all eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Scott Price, are you here? Oh, there you are. Scott is the chairman of our board. He's going to share a story about what this benevolence offering has done. Yeah, that one right there. Good morning. Is it on, John? So each month, we like to share some of the experiences with our congregation that we've had with our benevolence fund and our benevolence ministry here at DCC. And sometimes that benevolence reaches outside of our congregation. We help a lot of people here in the community. We sometimes help people that are, uh, their car is broken down, they can't afford to fix it, and they can't get home. And we sometimes assist them in uh, making it home, those kinds of things. We also want to share some of the stories uh, that we have of helping our members, the uh, people that are part of our church family here. And that's the story this month. So last year, um, one of our members had a very serious uh, fall, uh, pretty uh, terrible leg injury, and was unable to work, did not have uh, medical coverage, and as you can imagine, bills started piling up. Not only was this person in quite a, a great deal of physical pain, but the stress that comes with the inability to make an income and, uh, and pay off the bills. So the Benevolence Committee uh, stepped up and helped this individual and paid the rent, helped with the medical bills, and took care of uh, what needed to be taken care of. And the key part here, I think, is not only do we help for the physical needs, but this is how God works through his people. God chose to make a church. This is part of his plan. In fact, he thinks a church is so important that Jesus 
died for it. And he said so. And so, here is God's love in action, reaching out to helping those uh, here among our, our people. And so, in Galatians 9, there is... Um, so forgive me, I, I guess uh, I'm too technical for my own good. I'm trying to read a verse off of this phone. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 say, And let us not be weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Thank you again for all of your contributions to the Benevolence Fund here at DCC. Amen. Thank you, Scott. Well, why don't we all stand? If you're not a part of a church, I'd encourage you to join one. Uh, join a church that uh, founds what it does on the Bible, that preaches uh, about the saving life of Christ and the rivers of water that we can experience. Your needs will be met, and as you meet others' needs, those rivers will flow and climax forever. In light of that, whatever happens around you, you can go into the world in peace. You can have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share this gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen and amen. Thanks for coming. Have a great week.